and we're back with a new edition of the Two Out of Three Falls podcast here on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. As always, I'm joined by Graham Matthews of Bleacher Report. He's on Twitter at Russell Rant. Graham, it's been a while. How are you, my man? Yeah, long time no speak, Randy. Doing great, my friend. Uh, wrestling, not so much. I think we kind of took a break right around the perfect time just because there really has not been much happening over the past three months right. since we last talked over the phone. But uh, great balls of fire, dumb name aside. It looks like it's going to be a great show on Sunday. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, I've been doing great. How about yourself? I'll tell you this, Graham. This shows you how how long that me and you have not done a show. The last time we did a show, I think Goldberg was still wrestling. <laughs> That's a long time, yeah. <laughs> um, Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report. Find him on on Twitter at Russell Rant. He's also the host of Russell Rant Radio. Um, always love having you on the Two Out of Three Falls podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, as you mentioned, Great Balls of Fire, this new pay-per-view name for the Raw side uh, is this Sunday. I think about seven, eight matches on the card. On the card, on paper, it sounds pretty good, but you know, um, I, I think a lot of these storylines going into the, the pay-per-view, if they call it a pay-per-view anymore, um, seems to be a little you know, 50-50. I know me and you go way back, and we always talk about how the storylines captivate why people watch for the pay-per-views, for Raw, for SmackDown. Yes, there are eight matches. It sounds good on paper, but before we get to each match individually, how are you as a fan ready for the pay-per-view as far as as far as all these storylines go? I mean, quite honestly, I'm personally looking forward to it. I would not blame anyone who says otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I said earlier, yeah, just wrestling in general. I mean, at least WWE. I won't speak for every other company out there, but at least WWE, including SmackDown, which was was maybe not unstoppable or untouchable, but at one point a few months ago, even right before WrestleMania, was just red hot. But now since Jinder Mahal's become WWE champion, there's still quite a few good storylines in that show. Right. But um, it's not as must-see as it once was, even three, four months ago. Raw was in a much worse place. I will say the last two episodes of Raw have been pretty good, I thought. And um, I got to give the company credit. They've done a really, really good job of building up pretty much every match on the show. Um, all the main matches, and if you notice, has closed off Raw, have closed out Raw for the last couple of weeks. Like this week, it was Reigns and Strowman. The week before that, we had the women closing out Raw. We got Enzo Cass closing out Raw. A lot of fresh faces. They're mixing up the entire formula of Monday Night Raw, which is good. So, again, for a pay-per-view that kind of came out of nowhere, great balls of fire. I had a SummerSlam, the final pit stop for Raw before SummerSlam next month, next month which I believe is six, seven weeks away. Um, the pay-per-view looks like it could be pretty good, especially with Lesnar and Joe and Strowman and Reigns, who have had a lot of good matches. So, for me personally, I'm looking forward to the show. One to ten, I would say maybe an eight on the anticipation level. I think it could be a really good show. But then again, we've been hyped for shows before and they've let us down. So we'll see what happens with uh, the great balls of fire on Sunday. Yeah, man. Uh, like I, you know, like I mentioned, there's eight matches on the card. Um, some of the storylines going into it, I think. The, I think the three main going into it are, of course, Brock and Samoa Joe. We, we we've seen. Um, Samoa Joe attacked Paul Heyman, and him and Brock had the little, you know, 
altercation in the middle of the ring and uh, Samoa Joe choking out Brock Lesnar. So on TV, they're making that, that storyline really, really great uh, to kind of make you feel that Samoa Joe does have a chance because most fans out there be like, all right, Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar, we all know Brock is going to win, but at least at the same time, with whoever they put Brock um, against at SummerSlam to try to make Samoa, uh, Samoa Joe look like a viable candidate to to defeat Brock Lesnar. And I think on Raw, they've done a great job of doing that in, in the past couple of weeks. Same thing with, with um, Reigns and Strowman. Um, Braun Strowman was supposed to be out of action for about four, five, six weeks maybe. Maybe even, you know, even more than that. He's back early. Uh, so you know that that is bound to be a great match. And I think they also... The other storyline going into uh, Great Balls of Fire is the the split up between Enzo and Kaz. Um, great promo work uh, between both of those guys. Uh, Kaz, who people look at as the next guy in line to get it to get a, a real big push. Um, before I get to that match, do you think they do you think they split them up too early, or do you think now it was the 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 the, the prime time because? Me and you keep saying, well, what in the world are they going to do with Enzo and Cass? Week in, week out, they keep losing. They, 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 they keep pinning Enzo. What are they going to do? And now they split up. Do you think that was too early or the right exact time? I'm still going to say it's way too early, but my thoughts on that could change. I mean, it's still only two weeks in. They only really broke up two, three weeks ago. And I will say for as sour as I was on the split um, a few weeks back, it's been really well done. Like I said, the feud's been, I thought, I mean, so far it's been really, really well done. Right. The promo that ends up uh, this week to the fame of the split from last week. I'm actually shocked. I expected it to be like, oh, who cares? But um, the promo work, and especially from Enzo, specifically, has been really, really good. And I guess I kind of should have expected that. But just me being uh, not negative, but I just thought it was way too early to split them up. I mean, even Enzo said it himself. They had never won a tag team title, which blows my mind. For as many times as I, you know, uh, pitched them to win the tag titles, whether it be at WrestleMania this year, of course, I was hard voicing that, but at WrestleMania this year, uh, back at like, the Rumble, SummerSlam, late last year, whatever, they never won the tag titles at any point, whether it be on Raw or NXT. And I guess they could always reunite down the road and win the tag team championships at some point. Uh, but I just thought it was way too early. The Raw tag team division needs all the help they can get. I mean, the club are barely on TV. The Revival are just coming back. They broke up the Golden Truth. And now they've broken up Enzo and Cass. So it's really only the Hardy Boys, Darl and Sheamus, which is why that feud has gone on as long as it has. But um, again, so as negative as they was on it initially, I will keep an open mind. But so far, the promo work has been really good. And dare I say, Enzo might come out of this feud as a bigger star than Cass, which I think it's supposed to be the other way around. But Enzo's work so far is in fire. So we'll see where it goes. Definitely, man. Um... Enzo and Cass at Great Balls of Fire. Who do you got? I mean, I could very well see it going either way just because obviously it won't be the end of the feud. It just started two weeks ago. So it almost doesn't matter who wins right now. But as many other people have said, it just it's hard to buy into Enzo as a potential threat to big Cass. I mean, again, for as well as he's come off in the build of this bout, it's that the guy is five feet tall, maybe, if that, and then Cass is seven feet tall, and the guy's a monster. When you really look at the guy, I know he's no, you know, Baron Corbin or uh, Kane or a Big Show or whatever, but he's still pretty damn big right. compared to Enzo. It just doesn't make sense to have Enzo win, especially clean. I've seen people say maybe he wins via a roll-up, but even that I feel like would do damage to Cass. 
And Enzo's gotten, he got a lot of love on Monday in the promo. He got the better of Cass in that backstage brawl. So I would say Cass wins, but I can even see them doing, having him beat the crap out of Enzo, and then Cass gets DQ'd, or you kind of do a Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens finish from a few years ago, take over rival, where Cass beats the crap out of uh, Enzo More, and uh, that's how he wins the match, just via referee forfeit. So Enzo's not getting pinned. People feel sympathy for him. Cass looks like a complete asshole or a castle, as I've seen people call him, yeah. whatever. But uh, either way, this will not be the end of the feud. But if I had to choose, Cass comes out on top. Alexa Bliss, Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship. Sasha Banks is back in the the number one contendership. Um, Alexa Bliss, you know, just a few months with her go, uh, going to Raw. Want to ask you about what have you seen from Alexa Bliss while being on Raw? Do you would you rather her be on SmackDown? And of course, who do you have winning between Sasha and Alexa on Sunday? The funny thing is that in the three months that we haven't done the show, we completely skipped all the Alexa vs. Bailey garbage, which started out really, really well, and then it just went, you know, just a lot of cliff. After This Is Your Life and the Bailey stuff, which has just been really disheartening to watch. Terrible. Alexa Bliss has been great in her role as the lead heel champion on Raw. Um, I figured she would lose a little momentum coming over from SmackDown because he had all these other top stars from Bailey to Banks and Nia Jax and now Mickey James and all these other women and Emma being back as well, but that hasn't been the case at all. Alexa Bliss has stood, you know, head over heels over every single woman in that division, which is great. And she's very talented to do so. I mean, she has deserved that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, Alexa Bliss has been great as the heel women's champion. Henceforth, going to my prediction, is why I don't think she should drop the title on Sunday. Now, people have been saying, myself included, for super, super long, like dating back a year now that they should do Banks and Bailey at WrestleMania. Now, they didn't do it this year, so people are saying maybe they're holding off until sometime. They've obviously been planting the seeds for a Bailey-Banks match, feud, Banks heel turn, what have you, for a long time now. But it seems like because Bailey, more so because Bliss got hot, but also because Bailey just fell off a cliff and how they booked her, um, I don't think that's in the cards right now, maybe, on, maybe later on down the road. But for right now, Bailey and Banks at SummerSlam just doesn't make any sense because I don't know where Bliss would fit in the equation if it's not a triple threat. So I'm going to say this is the beginning of a longer feud between Bliss and Banks and uh, Bliss retains the title on Sunday. You know what's so funny? I know me and you always mention you know Sasha Banks should be should be the one uh, with a heel turn. But what what if you know me and you got this all wrong? What if Bailey's the one that needs the heel turn now more than Sasha Banks? That's what I've seen people say. I've seen people say that they should swerve us and have Bailey turn heel. I mean, I'm open to it to an extent, and I'm putting my bias for Bailey aside. I just don't think, not that the timing is wrong, not that Bailey, I'm not going to say she would not do well as a heel. I just think that's, I mean, for anyone else, yeah, like, okay, their character sucks, it's stale, they need a revamp, whatever, so turn a heel or turn her face, what have you. With Bailey, her character is tailor made to be a baby face, to be a fan favorite. So at this point, it just doesn't seem like, I, mean, I said it was way too early to spoil it anyone cast and did that anyway. So it's not like it matters in terms of timing and whatnot. They don't give a shit. They'll do whatever they want. So I wouldn't be shocked if they went that route. I still think it's not the right route to go. And I feel like it might even do more damage to Bailey than it would if they tried to rehab her. Like mm-hmm. with Ryback, I feel like he was a perfect example 
of like four or five years ago when they had the guy lose all the time instead of attempting to rehab him, they just turned him heel, which he was even worse off for because he lost even more at that point. He was no longer over and no one gave a shit. So I feel like with Bailey, um, I, I don't want to see her go down a similar path because she's way better than that. But um, again, it might be something to consider for down the road, maybe not right now. Um, maybe we see a triple threat at SummerSlam. I would just rather have Bailey just get beaten and beaten and beaten and then you rebuild her back up the same way that she was built up to be a legitimate contender in NXT. Um, that's the way they should have done it from the get-go. I don't know why they didn't do that. They just completely have mishandled her mishandled her from the get-go on Raw, but we'll see where they go with her. But it's definitely a possibility, though. I mean, yeah, I get it. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, Bailey being the the fan favorite or the merchandise or the money to get from her uh, with the merchandise sales. But, you know, hey, Hulk Hogan was a fan favorite too, and, and look look how he turned out. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I, I I think Alexa Bliss wins the match. Um, I wouldn't say win by, by pinfall submission. I think somehow she, she walks out of uh, on Sunday with the belt. And to me, with SummerSlam being in Brooklyn, um, you know, you you get a chance to see fans saying, "Oh, Bailey, Sasha, Brooklyn, they're gonna they're gonna rehash that." Um, I don't know if it's gonna be just a one on one match or they get involved in it in a triple threat match, like you mentioned. There's also the fact that Nia Jax is out there. We'll see what, what kind of involvement she'll have on Sunday. But I think no matter what, Alexa Bliss uh, walks out um, on Sunday, still champion. Um, for the 434th time, we have The Miz and Dean Ambrose for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Graham, I'm tired of seeing these two guys uh, wrestle each other. Um, I was kind of disappointed when, um, and, and I know me and you did not get a chance to to, to touch um, on this, but with the whole brand split and the trades and whatever, Miz and, and Dean Ambrose going to, to Raw from SmackDown was a... Was, uh, a choice that that I would not have made. I think both should have been uh, remaining on SmackDown. Same with Bray, same for Bray Wyatt. But nevertheless, they're on Raw. And since they've been on Raw, Graham, it's been Miz and Dean Ambrose since since April. Um, do you think we finally get the end of this rivalry between Dean Ambrose and and, and the Miz? And do you think Miz walks out still Intercontinental Champion? I really hope this is the end. I mean, it yeah, really me speaks volumes that the last time we did this show in late April, these two were feuding even then. And now they're still feuding now. That That's very, very bad. I mean, it would be one thing. Okay, okay. I won't say they're, they're bad opponents. It's not like... It's are entertaining. The matches are very good. I'm sure this match will be no different. It's like the whole purpose of moving them from SmackDown to Raw was to give them fresh keys and fresh opponents to work with. Right. They're literally bashing the same feud that we saw on SmackDown six, seven months ago. It's the same exact thing. Exactly. And now they're just throwing the Miz I don't care if you throw Maurice Miz Taraj, a goddamn bear in there. It's the same feud. It doesn't matter. It's the same feud at the end of the day. So, again, I really hope this is the end. And as we've said a million times, Miz is way better off in the champion role than the Ambrose. Uh, I don't know if they turned in after this or if they reunited the Shield first. I don't know what's going on with that. I've seen people say they should do Balor Club and the Shield, which would be great at this point. I just don't see how that would make sense with everyone doing their own thing right now. There's no real connection or any real need for that to happen anytime soon. That being said, though, uh, Ambrose hopefully will be better off as a heel at some point in their future. But for Miz, I don't even know where he goes from here because Raw's mid-card, I mean, they have 
Apollo Crews, and that's another SmackDown we've seen before. Kalisto, another guy from SmackDown. They don't really have any mid-card raw talent other than maybe Seth Rollins is more upper mid-card. I could see them doing Miz and Rollins at some point. Maybe Reigns and Miz. I know that was rumored a while ago. I don't know that was there. I don't think Miz would fare too well against him, but it's an idea, though. So regardless, um, I have Miz retaining, and hopefully this is the be-all, end-all of the feud on Sunday. Speaking about feuds that should end, that then that have been going on since April, the Hardy Boys and uh, Sheamus and Cesaro have been going at it nonstop for the past three months. Um, again, maybe the I wouldn't say the brand split has been hurting them, but I think certain people moving from Raw to SmackDown and vice versa kind of have made them uh, stagnate. With you know, back to the Miz now. Um, he's still Intercontinental Champion. He's been fighting Dean Ambrose since April. There's really, really nobody else in that in that realm of competition for the IC title. Are you know they might insert Heath Slater here and there, but now is Heath gonna go with fight Ambrose? Is he gonna fight the Miz? We have no idea what happens um, after Sunday. But a lot of these feuds. And Graham, you know, for the record, you know, this is why I haven't really been watching Raw all through uh, for, for three hours because once I see uh, Matt Hardy against Sheamus, I'm changing the channel. If I see Jeff Hardy against, uh, against uh, Cesaro, I'm changing the channel because I've been seeing that since April. Miz and Dean Ambrose and back and forth. It's like, um, as a fan, these two feuds need to end, but like your question is, Who's next? So if if you know right now we're on on the tag team title match, if Sheamus and Cesaro defeat the Hardys, what is left? I mean, what is next for Sheamus and Cesaro? That's the thing. Like I said earlier with Benjamin Cass, and when we were talking about that match, there's really at this point no raw tag team division. I mean, they already split up Golden Drew. There were no legitimate contenders anyway. Yeah. Um, they split Benjamin Cass. So I would say, okay, if they defeat the Hardys again, keep the belts on Cesaro and Sheamus. Then you can use Cesaro and Sheamus versus Enzo and Cass, but they couldn't even do that because they've already split them off. So at this point, i got to say Hardy's re- regained the gold here. Um, it's not a matter of, oh, if they lose here, maybe then they go broken. There's no timetable on that because I've read reports that they're close to becoming broken and then they're not. Whatever. There's no real update on that, I, I, I guess, from what I've been hearing. But in regards to the outcome of the match on Sunday... It should be an awesome match. I'm really happy to see it. It's really cool that um, I would want to like the feud. I mean, it's been pretty formulaic and doing the same matches every weekend raw. But in terms of the matches they've had, uh, the two out of three falls match, the steel cage match, and this match have all been really good. I expect this will be no different. And uh, the first ever 30-minute Iron Man tag team match, which is pretty damn cool, too. But I've got to say the Hardy Boys win back the belts. I mean, I don't know where else you go with Seamus and Cesaro. And I've heard reports about uh, Sheamus leaving. They'll film that movie that was promoted by that Transformers guy in Raw a few weeks ago, so that might be happening soon. But even despite that, like, them as champions, who do they face? At least the Hardy Boys. You can do them versus the club, them versus the Revival, which I think is the real money feud on Raw, yeah. them versus the entourage of uh, Dallas and Axel if they want. Not that anyone would, would really care, but that's a potential possibility, too. So I think the end game in all of this is, which is why they dragged out the feud as long as they have, um, is because the Hardy boys are winning back the belts on Sunday. So they're my official pick. Just a random question: Can the company get any more less creative by coming up with Miz Taraj? 
Seriously. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't come up with no other name for Mrs. Crew, Stable, Click, whatever it is, as opposed to Ms. Taraj. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's what it comes to, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> and look, Miz, Miz has his own crew. Jinder Mahal's on SmackDown with his own crew. And it's like, anyway, listen. Um, I think, I, I really don't know who's going to win this tag match because it all depends on who was next in line. You mentioned the club. The club has been more down than up in the past year. Golden Truth, they split. The 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 Colognes, they went to SmackDown. The Revival, that might be the that might be the money match. And if they're up next, then I would rather see them and the Hardys in Brooklyn for SummerSlam. Um, and anybody else, that's really it. I, I I mean, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. Are there more tag teams now on SmackDown than Raw? To, um, in your opinion. I think there are. I know there's Slater and Rhino on Raw, too. Oh, yeah, too. Slater and Rhino, the Hardy Boys, Cesaro and Sheamus, um, Club and Revival. That's five tag teams right there. I think they're kind of even now. Because even on SmackDown, um, it looks like they might be splitting up the hype bros, so they might be broken up soon. Okay. They have the ascension. No one gives a shit about it anyway. Usos, New Day, Rizongo, that's four characters right there. So they have the high first technically right now. It's five. If you count the Colognes, but I've heard the Colognes might be quitting soon. Uh, they were on SmackDown on Tuesday. So again, I don't know how legit that report is. But um, so as of right now, your SmackDown does, I think they're kind of even for now. But I think Raw might have more taxes at the end of the day, which is scary. If they split the hype bros, which they probably should. But yeah, WWE is breaking up all their tag teams right now for some reason. And Graham, a year ago, a few months ago, I probably would not say this, but I like the Usos now. I, I like them. I like them. They, 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 they did the heel turn, dressed in all black. They're they rapping on SmackDown with, with the New Day and Wale. I like this this new version of the Usos. If they keep this if they keep this up, I like them. Um, and just imagine how them dressing up in these, you know, Hawaiian skirts and face paint, and look what happens when you turn heel and, and get get a brand new image. Yeah, exactly. It was only, they only really needed that one heel turn, which happened about nine months or so ago, but it gradually built up. And over the past nine to 10 months, they've gotten new music, new gear, new attitude. Yeah. This is much more of the Usos, who they actually are in reality. I mean, you would see it all the time. You would see them on TV for the past three or four years. Like when they started doing the dances and the Simone face band and shit, it was cool <laughs> then, but that was 2013 because they were awesome in the ring. People loved them and stuff. But you can only do something for so long before people start to get sick of it. I mean, John Cena might be the only exception because he's John Cena. But everyone else, they got to switch up the character every once in a while. And the Usos, that's what they fell victim to. So turning them heel was the best thing that we that could have possibly happened to them. Because the fact that they were, that they're funny, they have personality, they're very, uh, they're just very entertaining to watch as characters. People have been seeing that on Total Divas for years now because that's who they actually are in reality. That are allowing them finally to shine, now, you know, have that personality shine through on TV. And that wrap up, as you mentioned on Tuesday, was great. I thought that was awesome. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the Usos right now. And even New Day, even New Day feels fresher than they did before because they were gone for so long. So, SmackDown's doing a good job with their tag team division, I would say, right now. Hey, and you know what? Uh, SmackDown had a few, few Tuesdays where they were, you know, slipping and slacking. But to me, SmackDown is still the better show. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's still, as you say, it might not be as hot as it once was like uh -huh. last year, earlier this year, but 
it's still far and away the better brand. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report. Find him on Twitter at Russell Rant. Uh, great balls of fire preview this Sunday. Um, another bomb burner, Neville and uh, Tazawa. I cannot pronounce his first name. Tazawa <laughs> and Neville for the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, on a scale from one to five, how much do you care about this match? I, I do care, just as someone who does follow to a five line, which is not much to me. It's obviously not the show people were hoping for coming out of CWC. Uh-huh. Um, this is the one match I am fine with them putting on the kickoff show, just because it's obviously the least built. And people, I think Neville obviously has been doing an amazing job as a heel champion. Akira Tozawa has been doing that. He's definitely one of the more over cruiserweights they have, so this is probably the best match they could do right now. Uh, which is good. I'm sure they can probably get more time on the kickoff show than they will on the main card. Because yeah. Like you said, seven, eight matches, they're not getting 20 minutes in the main, on the main roster, on the main card. So they'd be on the kickoff show to get hopefully 10 to 15 minutes. That'd be cool. Because these guys, if they're allowed to go out there, they have a hell of a match. Uh, but yeah, Neville's been killing it. Tazali's been doing well. Even the Titus Worldwide stuff, and I never thought I would say this, has been winning me over the past two. Him the baby fix, not being obnoxious. Uh, it's actually really good. So Titus hopefully can uh, play a factor in this match as well. But I, yeah, I do care about it, maybe not as much as the other matches on this card. But I do think it'll be a good match. But either way, I do think Neville walks away still the Cruiserweight champion. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Titus. How far have we come to have Titus and uh, Apollo Crews to be in the final segment of a Monday Night Raw in 2017? Look at that, Graham. Look at that. <laughs> Titus O'Neill. Exactly. Titus O'Neill and Apollo Crews main event in Raw with uh, Strowman on Monday. Um, I think Neville wins. I, I, listen, I don't know when Neville is going to lose. Um, um, could it be SummerSlam? I really don't. I, I don't have any clues. So I, obviously, I would take him over Akira, Akira Tozawa uh, on Sunday. So we'll see how long uh, Neville uh, remains the Cruiserweight Champion. And. Um, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, as we're doing the show, somebody wrote me on Twitter, uh, what do you what do you think about Seth Rollins versus Bray Wyatt? I wrote back saying, should we care? Because and and, and that's no dis you know, dis- <laughs> disrespect. It's just I think you know, we've seen him match a couple times. Bray Wyatt, it's always gonna be in, in that, that area where he does great promos but never wins a match. And to me, I really hated and going back to the whole, you know, split in the trades. The Miz and Bray Wyatt going to Raw was just like the absolute worst thing you could do because to me, right now you have Jinder as the world champion on SmackDown. To me, The Miz was right next in line after Randy Orton. And nobody saw Jinder Mahal um, to become champion or to be a contender. Miz goes to Raw. He's still Intercontinental Champion. He should have been the world champion right now. Bray Wyatt. Don't still don't know why he lost on uh, at WrestleMania and why the fact that he had a championship match at, at Payback when he's on SmackDown on a Raw pay per view. Um, Bray Wyatt is just in this, this this spot where he can go up, but he can go down. But that means that that's not a good look for him. And Seth Rollins, um, to me, his him being a a babyface. Um, is not the way to go for me. They haven't really been doing anything special with him. So, some of the promos have been really kiddish the way he's been pronouncing. I know he's on the cover of 2K18 coming up. And um, Do I really care about this match? 
I don't, but I'm still a fan of, of both Bray and Seth. To me, it just remains to be seen what happened. Where do they go from here um, going into SummerSlam? So Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, and just a regular singles match. Graham, who do you got? He doesn't possibly care. There's no reason to care. It's the same thing with Wyatt every single month. He attacks him out of nowhere. He cuts a creepy-ass promo that no one knows what the hell he's talking about. There's no substance that was huge whatsoever. And then he loses. I mean, I could see him winning this match, but in the end, he's always going to lose. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter whether he wins the first or second match. He's always going to lose in the end. So it never matters. And just, I don't know, there's nothing about this feud that feels exciting at all. It's just kind of there. Really, honestly, I'm more excited for Neville and Akira Tozawa than I am for this match. Because I like Rollins, but one of the best parts about Rollins' character, like six months or so ago, or even a year ago, whatever, was that it felt like he had motivation. Like he wanted to get back to WWE Championship. He never lost because he got hurt about two years or so ago. And then when he failed to do that, he turned babyface because after the authority turned on him. And then he wanted to take out the authority. He wanted to take out Triple H. He did that. He wanted to take out Samoa Joe, the guy who injured him earlier this year. He did that. And then there's nothing. Like, you would think he would get back involved in the title picture, but he can't right now because of Joe and Brock going on. So they have nothing going on for him, so they just put him with Bray Wyatt. And um, I'm not even sure if they, if they had Wyatt on SmackDown. Miz is definitely... Definitely a bigger disservice. We talked about that when it happened, and I'm still not for the fact that he's on Raw because he could be the WWE champion right now. Wyatt, I feel like no matter what show he's on, they're just going to fall to the same formula every single time where he just talks and talks and talks. He never backs it up, and he always loses, and no one cares. So uh, for this outcome, I'm going to say Wyatt wins, and then Rock wins slam. I just... I care less about this program. I really just hope it's over. And it, that's the thing; it hasn't been bad. Like the Orton Wyatt team sucked because of all the uh, <laughs> the whole focus garbage and shit they were doing on SmackDown for so long. And the WrestleMania match is putrid. But uh, Rollins and Wyatt—it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's boring. No one cares. So I'm going to say Wyatt wins, but I'm not 100 percent confident with my pick. I know you mentioned Randy Orton, and I know we're far away from from or not that far away from Battleground, but. Punjabi prison match Graham has made his way back on TV. Um, I, I know we're talking SmackDown and stuff like that, but real quick, Orton still with Jinder Mahal, Punjabi prison match. Um, I know the first one was not that great. I think it was Kali, and I forgot who was in the match with him, but um, that was like 10 years ago to my, to my recollection. Are you excited for another Punjabi prison match? I'm not, really. Um, I knew this was coming. I think a lot of people thought this was coming, that uh, when Jinder Mahal won the title, it's like a Punjabi prison match when, like, yeah. when is it going to happen? It's going to happen at some point. We're getting the battleground. Uh, I mean, I think people are more excited for the fact that it's back. You know, we haven't seen it in a long time. It absolutely forces the hearts of our fonder. But I think a lot of people, like you said, just forget the fact the first two matches, there was Batista and the Great Colleague, and then at the end of the year in Big Show, and the match is sucked. Oh, it's confusing as hell with the doors opening. It's a cool visual, but, like, I don't even know what two people you would put in that type of match to make it work. Because, I don't know, because even Orton and Jinder, I thought they had a better match at uh, Money in the Bank than they did at Backlash. Yeah. But this is another, I just, it just needs to end. Like, Orton's already lost twice. Why is he getting another shot? And the land of opportunity, it makes no sense. 
the guy's a loser. He's already lost twice. He's another guy that'd be way better off as a heel at this point, being Randy Orton. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how they handle it. The match itself, I get, will be an instant classic. In, in terms of being good, and I, I assume it could be memorable for all the wrong reasons. But it's just, I'm ready for them to move on because Orton is a challenger, as a champion. I just don't care. The guy was way better off than, like, an upper mid-card brawl with Wyatt. Like, the Wyatt family with Orton in it was the most interested I've been in Orton in many years, and I messed that up. So, yeah, Punjabi, the Punjabi prison match could be, it could exceed expectations, but right now I do not expect it to be uh, all that great. Yeah, back to back to Seth and Bray Wyatt real quick. Um, I know we, you know, in you know, in the beginning we mentioned the best three the best three storylines going into Great Balls of Fire with Brock, uh, Samoa Joe, Reigns, Braun Strowman, and um, what's we got it and 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 Enzo and Cass. Now, I want to ask you because you know me and you are very big on storylines. Why should we? Why should we watch these matches? Um, on Raw, on SmackDown, on the pay per views. Um, so. Kind of being sarcastic here, but why are Seth why are Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt fighting? What's the real beef between them? That's it. That's exactly. It. I had no idea. I mean, I thought it was because I mean, remember Wyatt said coming out of Extreme Rules, I'm going to take out everyone that was in the Extreme Rules match or whatever that I lost, in. and then he went after Roman Reigns, and he literally lost clean in like ten minutes. It was a good match, but it's like he's a loser. So why should I expect? Why, why do they expect me to care that he's facing Seth Rollins now after he already lost to Roman Reigns? At least the Wyatt-Valor stuff seems like it would have been a better fit because of the demon and the creepy Wyatt thing. Like, I mean, now he could have stuck, too. Who knows? We could still see it down the road. But I was more excited to see that because at least it's something new. I mean, I guess Rollins and Wyatt is something new, too, but I don't know. I'm not really sure. I thought Valor and Wyatt would have been a better fit character-wise. Because Rollins and Wyatt just do not have good chemistry on the mic. We'll see what happens in the ring. But I don't expect them to have a, a, a five-star classic on Sunday. So, yeah, it really, it's been, you know, four or five weeks, but we still have no clue as to why these two are feuding. I, I really thought it was really because Bray Wyatt said Seth Rollins was a bad man. And that was it. Just you're just a I bad guess man. I did. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I hardly pay attention to his promos anymore. But more or less, I guess that's what he meant. I'm not really sure. I I guess that's the best guess. Yeah. Oh God. Um. Wh- why the Miz and why is Miz and Dean Ambrose still feuding for for, for five months? <laughs> exactly. Well, at least in that equation, there's a championship on the line, so I almost get that. Well, yeah. Rollins and Wyatt with nothing on the line. You said standard singles match. Why should I even care? Oh man! And why is Neville fighting Tazawa just because you know Tazawa is is the next up in line? Yeah, they just need someone need another body for Neville to beat. <laughs> That's exactly it. Hey man, you mentioned Finn Balor. Are we should we should we be surprised that Finn Balor is not on this card for Sunday? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but not really. Just. With Balor, I can go on forever about, but to keep it short and sweet, I mean, they really have not done much with him really at all since he came back. He still comes across like a star, but you'll get great reactions. He had a really good match with Cesaro on Monday, but they just don't know what to do with him. Like, he had nothing going on when he first came back, which was very strange. They had the Wyatt two lined up, and then Strowman got hurt, so they scrapped that. And now he, it looks like he's got something going on with the director, with Elias, with Elias Samson. And I guess they could put him on the card at the last minute, but like we said, they already have eight matches. 
You want to throw another one on there for what, a quick five minute squash? So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really sure what they're going to do. But uh, it is pretty odd that Ballard, you know, being the big star that he is and getting the big post that he gets from the get go when it gets you a year ago, he's nowhere to be seen in this car. Very strange. And just a quick FYI, we haven't seen Demon Finn Balor in, in about a year. We've seen Fonzie, Leather Jacket, uh, Pop Your Collar Up Finn Balor since then. We, we, have a, we have not seen Demon Finn Balor since SummerSlam. Why not? I thought he would be but I get why he's come out as the Demon at Extreme, or uh, Payback it was when he was on News TV because there was a random News TV segment, but... And I, I'm not surprised he's not doing it on Raw. He shouldn't anyway. But I thought he would have done it for the fatal five-way match. And the main, it was the main event of a pay-per-view, and he still didn't do it. Exactly. Like, I thought he would bring it out for, like, the big pay-per-views, but he's not even doing that. So maybe he's saving it for the big four, but there's been no talk of the demon at all. So, yeah, really bizarre, given how hard, you know, they were pushing that. Going to SummerSlam, calling him the Demon King, and all this other stuff, and now it's nowhere to be seen. Just to backtrack real quick, I, I am going with uh, Bray Wyatt over Seth Rollins. I think he needs to win more than Seth um, just because I, 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 I feel bad for Bray, him being champion for like a month. And then my thing is he, he wins a title um, in that in that chamber match uh, from, from John Cena, I think, and then he pinned AJ Styles, if, 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 if I'm not uh, mistaken, and then he has like a one-month mm-hmm. one month run. Randy Orton, he loses, and then he wants a rematch, but then it's he he gets the rematch in a non-title match, which still doesn't make sense. Um, in in that House of Horrors match with me and you have never really spoken about, but that we say that for a different day, and he's just he's just on Raw, just doing the same old promo. So for me, I'm going uh, with Bray. He needs he needs to win more than Seth Rollins. Um, two more matches left. We got Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman in an ambulance match. I think this is one of the better feuds in the entire company right now. This has been going on for a while. Great storyline. We thought Braun was going to be out for, for quite some time with the injured elbow. He's back. Um, I like what they're doing with both Roman and, 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 and Strowman. Um, tough call right here, but who do you have? Roman Reigns or Braun Strowman on Sunday? That's the thing I've heard plans have changed. It's not going to be Strong and Lesnar at SummerSlam, but rather Reigns and Lesnar, and they're pushing the WrestleMania plans forward um, ahead many, many months. Mm. So, therefore, you would think that Roman Reigns wins, but I'm going to stick with my guns and say Strowman wins. Not only do I think he will win, he has to win. I know RG wrote a whole article about it earlier today from my website, and he's a huge Strowman fan, but even putting this bias aside, he's right. I mean, with Strowman... The guy's red hot right now. Like he got a major reaction when he came back a few weeks ago. He looked awesome on Monday. That um that gif of him uh, yeah, kicking Apollo Crews mid moon salt was amazing. That was just a sick visual. And the guy is just killing it right now. And he's one other than obviously Lesnar and, uh, and Joe. He's one of the few legit top heels they have. He's he is the definition of what a monster heel should be. Something we have not seen on this show really in the WWE at all in many years, in a long-ass time. And uh, that's why Strowman needs to win. I think he needs to preserve his heel seat. And even if he doesn't face Strowman at Summer, or uh, Lesnar at SummerSlam, or whoever, if he doesn't go for the championship at SummerSlam, he has to win here. And I know both guys will be protected regardless, because they won't be pinned or submitted. They're just being tossed in the back of an ambulance. 
And I know Roman hasn't won any matches. I don't think since WrestleMania on pay-per-view, because I know he lost at Extreme Rules, and he lost to Strowman at Payback. So they might feel the need to get his win back here, but I just don't think he needs to win. I think Strowman needs to win a lot more than Roman does. I think there's a good chance Roman could win, but I'm going to stick with my guns and say Strowman goes over. So if they're pushing up the WrestleMania match between Brock and Roman to SummerSlam, what have you been hearing or what's out there that kind of can pencil in? Uh, I know we're thinking a, a whole year at a time, but right now the WrestleMania 34 main event is, is kind of in, in, in question right now since you, you're saying Brock and, and Roman could be pushed up to SummerSlam? Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. I've been hearing that um, they might be pushing up Lesnar and Strowman to SummerSlam, and then instead of, or rather, sorry, Lesnar reigning from SummerSlam and not doing the match at WrestleMania. So I guess at WrestleMania, they're thinking Roman Reigns and John Cena, which has been teased pretty lately, um, as of late on WWE TV. So I don't know. Again, that's the weird thing about that is that I don't want Reigns and Lesnar. I don't really want Lesnar and Reigns at all. I mean, I know it could be a good match, but we all know all roads end with. Reigns beating Lesnar, which is really what I don't want. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the Lesnar match in a minute. But um, if you do do Lesnar and Reigns at SummerSlam, then what happens to Strowman? You can do Strowman and Samoa Joe. It's like there are two heels, too. At least with Lesnar, it works because he's not really a heel. He's more just, he's Brock fucking Lesnar. Like, it doesn't matter whether he's facing a heel or face. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, Joe and Lesnar would be weird. It's like, I don't know where you go with Strowman if he loses, and then where do you go with Samoa Joe if he loses? If both guys lose, where do they go? Like, that's the question, and they're both killing it right now. So to have them, both guys lose, would just be death. So I really hope that's not the case. You mentioned John Cena. He's now a a quote-unquote free agent. Um, Can go to SmackDown, can go to Raw, whatever he feels like it. Are you in favor of that move, or do do you think John Cena should be on one brand and one brand only. Or the fact that he is John Cena, he could do it, he can do it, whatever the hell he wants. That's the problem. I mean, I was saying, I've been saying a few times in the past month that um, he should just stay exclusive to one show. It seems like he will be for right now because he is facing Rusev with the SmackDown Battleground pay-per-view. Right. And the weird thing is that when he came back on Tuesday, he almost said nothing about the free agent stuff. He didn't mention it like in passing. But beyond that, they made no big deal about it. Daniel Bryan was like, oh, sign this contract. We need to hear about it. It was really weird. Like, they make this big deal about the brand split as they should. I'm very much in favor of them doing the brand split. But, like, it, it feels like it's, it makes everyone else like a, feel like a lesser star because of it. Like, if John Cena's above the brand split, what does that say about the rest of the roster? Like, what does that say about every other jabroni in the roster that can't switch shows like he can? Like, I feel like that's so stupid. Um, and just because he's only here three months, they're going to put him on both shows because the ratings are tanking. They need to have him on both Raw and SmackDown. That, to me, is really, really dumb. So I'd rather just have him stay on SmackDown. They don't need him on Raw. If you wanted to put him on Raw, you could have had him go to Raw in a superstar shakeup. I personally feel that Cena's a better fit for SmackDown anyway. We've been seeing him, out, we've been seeing him on Raw for the past 10, 15 years anyway, so... Having him stay on SmackDown for a while, I think it's for the best. It's only been a year since the original draft. But, um, yeah, I'm not in favor of it, but I guess we'll see where they go with it. I, I, I guess you could show up as soon as Monday on uh, uh, on Raw on Monday, this coming Monday, because it's the day after the pay-per-view. So I actually kind of expect it, but they've made no mention of it as of right now. Well, they need it. <laughs> Raw needs it. They, they, they need John Cena there. I know they're going to prepare for SummerSlam, so they're going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff. But, um 
am I in favor of it? Hey, I mean, if if you bring if there's some intrigue. Now, I know you mentioned uh, Cena and maybe Roman Reigns down the road. That could be very interesting. But right now, he's in this uh, flag match at Battleground with Rusev. Rusev making his return on SmackDown. Uh, I thought, you know, I told you a few months ago, the perfect thing for Rusev to do in his comeback was to go at uh, at, uh, Jinder Mahal. But that ain't happening. But now Rusev is still a heel. I know they did the whole July 4th stuff in the USA, in my country, the, the regular norm. And now he gets back into a feud with John Cena. Um, I hope that feud is just one match and one match only. But I think Rusev is another guy who can excel on SmackDown. Can, and me, I thought it could be a tweener, heel, babyface um, against Jinder once Jinder is done with Randy Orton. I could see that. I mean, I know that's been the um, hot speculation for a while as doing ball. And another thing I'm not really in favor of, it's weird because, like I said, I want him on SmackDown, but I also don't want to see him be the one to be in there because I feel like that's such a waste. It, it's so weird that we have two feuds going on right now that are essentially the same exact thing. With Orton Jr. being USA versus India, you know, it's Cena and Rusev, it's USA versus Bulgaria or Russia or whatever. It's the same thing, so um, I'm not a fan of them doing that. We know that's where it's going, or it's leading, like Reigns beating Brock Lesnar's the end game for the title for the Universal Championship. The end game for the WWE title seems like it's going to be Cena Mahal, which, again, I just, I'm not a fan of just because I don't think Cena needs, not that he won't win another WWE title and break the Ric Flair record. It's not really that. It's more so that I don't think... It does Mahal any favors because how many people have fallen victim to the old John Cena thing where they lose to John Cena and then they're never really the same after that? I mean, other than AJ Styles, but going back years from Rusev to Bray Wyatt, they all got the big push and if you did John Cena, then they lose in the end and they're fucking losers and they go on to do nothing. So that's not the case, but I can very well see that being the uh, scheduled match for SummerSlam being seen in Mahal for the WWE title. And, you know, don't forget, we also have Baron Corbin out there with the Money in the Bank briefcase. So I know him lurking out there. I have, we have no idea when he'll cash in or, or or whatnot. But someone like him can cash in that, that briefcase at, at, at any moment in time. So someone like Arusev or John Cena or Baron Corbin, that's who we're looking at as the top contenders for the world title because right now we still got AJ and, and Kevin Owens in that U.S. title picture. Dolph Ziggler, I don't know. Who cares? So Corbin, Jinder, and I would say John Cena could be and, and, and Rusev could be in that four-way where these are the four main guys to go for the world title down the road, right? Yeah, I assume so, especially with Corbin, too, uh, just considering the fact that I would say he, he'll be ready Probably by later this year, um, I think he, he's definitely WWE champion material, maybe not right now. I've seen people say, oh, Cena beats Mahal and Corbin cashes in. Hopefully that's not the case come SummerSlam, because I don't think Corbin will be ready by then. But um, a Cena-Corbin feud, I would take over a uh, Mahal-Cena feud. Because I know Mahal, I don't know, Corbin obviously have a lot of faith in Mahal. I feel like one loss might kill a dude. And he'll just, he'll just go back to being a jobber. But instead of Corbin... If they wait a little longer than having cash in the final few months of the year, and then Cena takes off again to go film whatever the hell else he's working on right now, um, that might be the best course of action. And you can do Corbin and 
Nakamura and Corbin and AJ and Corbin and Vain for the title they wanted to. There's a couple different options, but uh, yeah, I mean, at least the SmackDown WWE title picks. So there's a couple fresh faces they have on the scene right now. Hopefully, they save AJ Nakamura for down the road at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and they don't do it at SummerSlam, as, as has been rumored. Because I feel like that's just way too soon. Uh, but I'm sure they'll be part of the title picture at some point down the road as well. Grant, I think the problem is we, you know, we keep saying it's too soon, too soon, but it's like who else is who else on the brand on each brand. Can one guy fight the same guy? I know, you know, we all want AJ and Nakamura at WrestleMania. We want John Cena against Nakamura. But if they happen to fight anytime before that, you know, I don't want us to be stuck in this. Oh, it's too early, too soon. But then you look at the roster, who else they got? How many times can can how many times can Nakamura fight Dolph Ziggler? How many times can Jinder Mahal fight Randy Orton? At some point. We're going to get to that AJ Nakamura match. We're, at some point, we're going to get to that Nakamura-John Cena match. It's just bound to happen. I think, you know, I, I like the brand split, but at some point down the road, it's going to hinder you because, all right, these guys are fighting the same people over and over again, and the dream matches that the dream matches that you want, like AJ and Kevin Owens, we say, oh, that was too early. Then you put the, you know, you put the match on SmackDown. But at some point, these guys got to fight each other at some point. Yeah, and it's the thing, like, uh, just in the meantime, creating compelling storylines and opponents for these people. I do agree that we should not be seeing Orton Mahal for three straight pay-per-views. I mean, if they were having great matches, that's yeah. one thing, but the feuding is, the feud has not been lighting the world on fire. I mean, they do have the people on SmackDown. They have the roster. I mean, they have a very good roster on SmackDown where they could be creating fresher feuds. So, again, like, we're seeing them all not in favor of that, but if they wanted to do Mahal... An AJ at SummerSlam, like that would be great. I've seen people pitch. Um, I don't know how many people would be in favor of this, but I could see AJ beating Owens for the U.S. title, and then doing—I mean, similar to what we saw two years ago—but I could see doing AJ and Mahal for the U.S. and WWE title at SummerSlam, and Mahal winning the U.S. championship to the eighth, the United States, or whatever. And then finally, AJ beats Mahal. He becomes champion. Who should be champion anyway? Wrestler on the roster, so. Uh, compared to everyone else. So AJ deserves that top spot at the moment, I would say, over Jinder. But yeah, I mean, they, they have they have options. Like I said, they could do AJ Nakamura at WrestleMania. In the meantime, we don't have to be seeing Orton and Nakamura, or rather Orton, and, which actually wouldn't be that match, but Orton Mahal a million times. Like, they have the people to do it. They can switch people up. They have Dolph Ziggler. They can try to make him mean something. They could turn Orton heel. Like, there's a few things they could be doing as opposed to the same matches every single week. One thing, one thing, real quick on Baron Corbin before we go to Brock and, and Samoa Joe. Um, yes, he does have the Money to Bank briefcase, but we've seen people cash in on the same day. We've seen ca- uh, people cash in at a WrestleMania. We've seen people cash in when the champion is laid out. Um, what could be dope, but I think it'll never happen. Uh, whether it's Baron Corbin or somebody else, someone to win the Money to Bank. The briefcase and just either forgets to cash in or has you know that 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 one year time limit is running out and like the gm at that time can say listen you you have like 24 hours to cash this in if not you're gonna have to give that shit back or just you know in plain sight oh man i forgot to i forgot to cash in this whole thing for a whole year and you don't get a chance to uh cash in for your for your championship match um 
I know th- I know that'll be a great idea, but I don't think I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've really exhausted every other option. Like you said, having someone cash in mid-match, having someone cash in after-match, or WrestleMania, C night, et cetera, et cetera. But we've never seen anyone hold the briefcase for literally a year and have to cash in, or not cash in at all. I honestly thought they would do that with Paul Ziegler um, about four years ago at this point. Because he held it for so long. He held the thing for... Nine months, nine, ten months, and by April they finally had him cashing in at the WrestleMania. But I thought it'd be really cool to have him pulled off on cashing in until the pay per view itself. And it's like when the like when CM Punk, you know, obviously the CM Punk John Cena thing. If I win tonight, then I leave the company as the WWE champion. Same thing, almost the exact same storyline, just with the Money in the Bank. Like if you don't cash in tonight at Money in the Bank, then you lose. Like you have to cash in tonight. Um, so that would be really cool, and it honestly. If there's anyone they could deal with that with, it's Baron Corbin. Because like I said, now is not the time to have him cash in. And I'm not saying it's necessary to have him cash in at the end of the year. It just doesn't have, it just can't be right now. So if they wanted to wait even more WrestleMania, then I'd be in favor of that. That'd be pretty cool to see. I mean, I guess they did that with Carmella, but I assume they're going to put the belt on her sooner rather than later. And they don't have as many options with the women because it's such a small division. But um, yeah, no, with Corbin, I think it'd be cool to see him hold off and cash in for an entire year. Have him cash into the pay per view, and it's like if you don't cash in tonight, you're screwed and you lose your shot. Um, or he maybe has to face off against the new Mister Money the Bank. There's a lot of possibilities there for a concept that's been really done to death over the past 12 years. At this point, there are fresh ways to you know fresh routes and fresh directions they haven't explored yet. So yeah, I'd be in full favor of that. All right, Grand, the main event at Great Balls of Fire for the Raw uh, Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar. Against Samoa Joe, as I mentioned earlier, I like the whole storyline. Joe attacking Paul Heyman, uh, the altercation between Brock and Samoa Joe in the ring, and the guy try to you know you know split them up. Uh, Samoa Joe choking Brock Lesnar out. Um, does Samoa Joe have a chance at Brock Lesnar, or do you think there's going to be a squash match for Brock, or at some point Brock is going to make Samoa Joe look strong at some point in this match? The interesting thing is that when the match was first announced uh, a little over a month ago at Extreme Rules, as excited as I and many other people were, we were all thinking it almost doesn't even matter because we know he's going to lose anyway. Mm-hmm. At this point, though, at this point, he has a much bigger chance of winning. I'm still going to say Brock. Brock is still my pick to go over here. But I'm going to say Samoa Joe has a much better chance now than he did even a month ago because this feud has been the pe- best part about Raw. Not like recently, not in the past few weeks, not like even the past couple of months, maybe all year. Like that's how good this feud has been, how well they've built up Samoa Joe and how big of a threat they've made him out to be. And we have yet to see this with Brock Lesnar. Beyond Goldberg, who kicked his ass who kicked his ass twelve, thirteen years ago. Yeah. So we've already seen that before. But beyond Goldberg, no one has been this much of a dominant force against Brock Lesnar. It's unheard of. It's been unprecedented, probably ever. And his entire WWE career, going back even to his original spend over a decade ago. I guess so, you know, dominant he's been in WWE, but Samoa Joe has not backed down. He brawled with him on Raw. He kicked his ass then. He choked him out on the stage. He almost kicked his ass on Monday's Raw this week. He's beaten up on Roman Reigns. He's beaten up on Seth Rollins. Samoa Joe has come across like a real star in this feud. The guy was already a star. If you liked him really well on the main roster since he came up at the start of the year, Granted, he wasn't at WrestleMania, but still, 
uh, by and large, he's been protected very, very well on the main roster, something I did not think would be possible. I didn't think they would do it with AJ Styles. I didn't think they would do it with Samoa Joe. But I'm proving me wrong, and I'm really happy to say this because Samoa deserves the best. That being said, I said it a year ago before he lost to Goldberg, and obviously, you know, so it's, it, it's irrelevant now. I would have had Samoa Joe be the one to beat Brock Lesnar, um, and I would have him beat him on Sunday, too. I don't think that's going to happen. I still think they're still setting their plans. They're setting their ways of doing Roman and Brock, either at SummerSlam or WrestleMania or whatever. They're going to do the match eventually. But um, if it were up to me, Joe would go over. Um, just because, I mean, we talked this entire episode about how stale and how formulaic Raw has become. You really want to shake things up and get people talking? Yeah, Samoa Joe win the belt. And it's not like it's a big swerve either. It's not like you're having... I mean, it is a swerve, but it's not like it's a big you know, upset. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's not like you're seeing Curtis Axel as beating Brock Lesnar. Like, it's Samoa Joe. Like, realistically, if there's anyone in the company that can kick this guy's ass, it's Samoa Joe. Um, so I would have Samoa Joe go over again. I don't think it's happening. But I did read um, around the time the feud started and the officials would reconsider Joe's push, considering, I mean, depending on how much he got over and how well-received the feud was. Like, maybe by the end of the night on Sunday, they will change their mind, and maybe Joe and Lesnar continues. I think this feud has been too good to have it just be... You can't just have a one-and-done type match and then move on. It's too good for that. Like, this has been awesome, and I'm sure the match will be really good, too. So, it would be a waste if they built up this feud for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then it was a five-minute squash. I really God hope it's not that, um, you know, that short or that one-sided, because Joe deserves a strong showing here. But again... Yeah, I, 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 to your, to your, to, to your statement earlier, if Samoa Joe goes over, uh, would it be much of a swerve? Probably not, because you know there are fans out there that really feel Samoa Joe can't beat Brock Lesnar, um, and the fact that Brock Lesnar has been world champion since April, he's been on a few, uh, a few Raws here and there, has not defended defended the the, the title uh, since he won it. And um, can Samoa Joe be the guy to knock him off? Probably. And the fact that if he does, th- th- you know, you put the rematch at at uh, at SummerSlam. Um, but now, if if Brock Lesnar goes over on Sunday, how does how does Samoa Joe how how can he make Samoa Joe look still look good in the process? And we're not we're not at home saying, man, Brock just beat the shit out of, out of Samoa Joe, and it's over. How can he make Samoa Joe look strong and still go over in the match? I think you do the opposite and have Samoa Joe kick Brock Lesnar's ass, and then, right. and then Lesnar battles back <laughs> and then wins the match in the end. I mean, that's really the only way. Not the only way that you can go with it, but that's one of the only ways. The only one of the only situations outcomes that make sense. Like you said, having a, a two minute squash or an eight minute squash. Last year, which was a huge disappointment. Uh, Samoa Joe, it was a complete waste. Or Orton, and I'm sorry, and Brock Lesnar, it went eight minutes, and it was a complete waste of time because Orton got in what a one RKO, and the match ended when he busted his head open. It was stupid. It was really ridiculous. Um, so that being said, with Brock Lesnar, I think the guy's got to take some bumps on Sunday. I know he has yet to really do so. Even the Goldberg match at WrestleMania, for as good as that was, for the five minutes they had. Um, Brock Lesnar was not selling a lot for Goldberg. I mean, I know he took a couple moves, but 
it was really just the spear, a couple jackhammers, and that was it. So with um, this match on Sunday, if it's not going to be Joe kicking his ass, hopefully it's more of a competitive contest. We really have yet to see like a true competitive match with Brock since, honestly, I would say since his match with CM Punk four years ago at SummerSlam. And the reason that match was so good was because Punk got some legitimate offense over Brock Lesnar, something we have not seen in many, many years. Like, the Suplex City stuff was cute at first. He was beating people up left and right, and he dominated people. Like, oh, we've never seen this before. But now we see it every single match, and now it's ridiculous. So hopefully Joe gets him not only some offense in, but a lot of offense in, and is the dominant athlete in that match if he's not going to go over and he goes down looking strong. And you know what? I got a real good swerve for you. Are we still sure that are we still sure that Paul Heyman is uh, <laughs> supporting Brock Lesnar? Because I think the only way this can be of a, a, of a major swerve outside of Samoa Joe winning the the belt is somehow he gets help from Paul Heyman the same way Paul Heyman did uh, help Big Show back in the day against Brock Lesnar. Um, because to me, at the same time. You know, it'll be the same thing over and over uh, with Brock and Paul Heyman. If there's somehow that the Paul Heyman Samoa Joe segment on Raw where he, you know, kicked his ass with just a, you know, a swerve, um, can Paul Heyman, quote unquote, hypothetically, be the reason why Samoa Joe can win the can win the belt at uh, on Sunday and then have a potential rematch at SummerSlam? Or if, some, if Samoa Joe does not go over on Sunday, can Paul Heyman be the reason why he wins against Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam? Or am I just bugging out, Graham? <laughs> no, no, I like that idea a lot. No, I like that a lot because a lot like the original scenario you had mentioned from 13, God, 15 years ago at this point, it's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy that it's been that long. But when Brock first lost in WWE, it was the Big Show, but only because Paul Heyman turned on Brock Lesnar. Right. And the reason he joined Big Show was because he didn't think that Brock could beat the Big Show. And we've been kind of seeing something similar with Samoa Joe. But Paul Heyman said himself that you're the worst case scenario for Brock Lesnar. I really didn't think he would come to this. Blah, blah, blah. And now he's been watching Raw the past, the past couple of weeks and thinking, oh shit, Joe could actually beat my client. I got to be associated with a winner. So I'm going to join Samoa Joe. Um, in terms of him being like the mouthpiece for Samoa Joe, which is not necessary because Joe obviously can cut his own promos. The guy's amazing on the mic. Right. But then again, so could CM Punk. CM Punk is one of the best big workers in the company. And Heyman and, and Punk were one of the best pairings that the WWE had in a long time. So it's not a matter of whether Heyman's doing the talking for him. Um, it's a matter of whether it could freshen up the Raw. And it's, again, I swear a lot of people will not see coming. I think it could be good for Brock to be in chase mode. And you do a rematch at SummerSlam, and maybe Brock's on his own up until he likely leaves after WrestleMania next year when his contract expires. So I think it'd be great to see him in chase mode up until WrestleMania trying to get his hands on Paul Heyman and with Samoa Joe you know, as the dominant world champion. A lot of money to get. I would even do. You know, I know Roman Reigns, he said he was getting the next title shot. And um, he was getting the next title. How oh, you do this? Roman Reigns said he's getting the next title shot at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. So you do. Samoa Joe wins on Sunday the same way that you just said. Mm-hmm. And um, Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman become a thing. Joe becomes champion. You do Samoa Joe and Roman at SummerSlam. Joe wins, obviously. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you do Brock and Braun. We get the long-awaited Brock and Braun match, which was these months ago. This it's this time, though, it's just not, oh, just not for the championship. But you do the match. doesn't really matter who wins. Maybe Brock wins. But um, in the meantime, though, what I'm getting at here is that you build the Brock and Joe Part 2 at WrestleMania. 
and I think that'd be great. Like with Plunk and Lesnar, I had read somewhere, maybe he even said it, I forgot who had said it, but I think the plan was to do a rematch at WrestleMania 30, and I think maybe Punk would have won there. I'm not really sure, but um, because I know Punk lost the first match, and I always thought, like, wow, how amazing would it be if they did a rematch? And then another great match at WrestleMania, and Punk finally got the big win over Lesnar there. Obviously, they didn't do that, but they could do that with Joe and Lesnar. Maybe Lesnar wouldn't win on his way out. Um, and I guess if you, you could do that if you want to, but just, I don't know, something long-term. We have yet to really get anything long-term in this company. It's always, you know, instant satisfaction. We need a longer chase, a longer story. So that's how I would book it. It doesn't even matter anyway, because like I said, Brock Lesnar's winning, but that's how I would book it, though. So regardless, you know, Great Balls of Fire should be a great pay-per-view. First time we have that um, that name. I, I, I don't know why they chose that name. They could have chose Armageddon, Judgment Day. They brought back some, some you know, No Mercies and, and, and Backlash. But Great Balls of Fire seems to be the, the name in the new calendar for the, the, the pay-per-view stuff. Um I'm not a fan of it, but hopefully this is a, just a one-shot deal. I know sometimes they, they, they named certain pay-per-views, and, and they only lasted one year. So hopefully, Great Balls of Fire <laughs> this year is the only <laughs> Great Balls of Fire uh, event that we have. It's weird because all the shows that lasted one year sucked. Like, Capital Punishment was awful. Mm -hmm. The Bash, I mean, which was the knock of the Great American Bash, that right. lasted one year. Breaking Point kind of sort of sucked, and that lasted one year, and so on and so forth. That's why they get cut short because the buy rate isn't good. The weird thing is that I really want this show to do well because it's a great show on paper, but at the same time, I want the name of the pay-per-view to die. So I guess it's kind of a win-win if it's a great show. It's awesome for us. If it's not a great show, that means they're probably going to cut it next year. Right. So I guess it's win either way. Um, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, on paper, though, it looks like it could be a strong show. Top few matches I'm really looking forward to. Really, the entire card, I think it'd be really quite good. Um, maybe even more so than SummerSlam, which is going to be four hours, likely, again, which is ridiculous. Oh, but um, I'm looking forward to the show regardless. I think, I think it could be pretty good. So here's hoping it is. Four hours, that's it for SummerSlam. WrestleMania was damn near seven. I think SummerSlam might be five. five <laughs> I mean, including the kickoff show, but yeah, yep. it's probably going to go over again and end around midnight. I mean, <laughs> the, the Great Balls of Fire show, I will say this real quick, too. Mm -hmm. um, and we've said it multiple times. It's like the Raw versus SmackDown pay-per-views and how they're, you know, SmackDown is always a lot better. Um, that was certainly the case last month with Money in the Bank. Um, I know in Money in the Bank wasn't great, but it was definitely better than Extreme Rules. Payback that was quite good. I know we didn't talk about it a few months ago. Payback was pretty good. That was the only real Raw pay-per-view exclusive event that was anything at least that could be considered great. So I hope this breaks that streak. We finally get a Raw pay-per-view worth watching. Because again, it's got all the potential in the world to be quite good. If it's not good, the only people that have to blame is themselves. So, Graham, real quick before I let you go... Um you know me, I'm very nostalgic. There's a lot of uh, wrestling pay-per-views that have happened in the company. And just so happens today, we are taping this on July 6th, uh, 2017. 20 years today, 20, 20 years ago today, uh, we had In Your House Canadian Stampede when it was back with WWF. We had In Your House. We don't have In Your House no more. So it just shows you how long ago this freaking pay-per-view was. Um, but at the time, real quick, Canadian Stampede, we had Bret Hart, Stone Cold, Bret Hart was now uh, the heel, Stone Cold was 
tw- still a tweener, but leaning more towards um, a good guy. Um, Bret Hart hated America. Canada loved him. Uh, Canada hated all the, the American wrestlers. They had the five-on-five match with Goldust, Ken Shamrock, Legion of Doom, Stone Cold against Bret, Owen, Bulldog, Pillman, and who am I forgetting? Brett Owen, Bulldog, Pillman, and, and Jimmy Anvil, Neidhart. So, and this is where the Hart Foundation was. Their stable was up and running. They're all heels. Brett's a bad guy for the first time in, in his career, doing great mic work. Um, we're kind of in the middle of the Attitude Era during this time. So, things are changing within, within the company. I want to get your, your thoughts and perspective on this pay-per-view. 20 years ago today, Canadian Stampede. And why... This pay-per-view, not just the match, but why this pay-per-view stands out as when people start have conversations about top two, three in-your-house pay-per-views, Canadian Stampede always seems to be in the top three. Yeah, it's an amazing event. Um, I just recently reviewed and watched. For the first time, I've never seen any of these shows in full. I recently, from the start of this year to just you know a couple of weeks ago, Watched every in your house ever. I mean, there were there was more wow. bad in your house shows than good, but they had, they had their moments. Far and away the best in your house show of all time. Far and away one of, if not the best pay per view of all time. Um, other than WrestleMania 17, which I get, but yeah, Canadian Stampede from uh, from 20 years ago today. And as someone who was not around at that time, who was not watching wrestling at that time, mm-hmm. who quite honestly, I'm not a big fan of like a lot of the pay per views they had back in '97. But watching that show. It was almost a perfect show. They had the light heavyweight match. They had, I think it was Mankind and Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the opener, which was awesome. They had Man, or they had Undertaker and Vader for the WWE title, which was a very well-worked, perfectly booked match. And then the main event, like you said, one, not even one of the best 10-man tag team match I have absolutely ever seen. The crowd was white hot, like shades of, and happened later on, but like, it was very reminiscent for me of Chicago when Punk won the WWE title at Money in the Bank 2011. That's how great that crowd was. They just would not stop. They were red hot throughout the entire match. So yeah, that whole show is just phenomenal. For a four or five match show, that was pretty perfect. So even 20 years later, still stands out as one of the greatest pay-per-views this company has ever done. Still stands the test of time, which is amazing to me. Now, for those who don't know, real quick, you know how, Graham, we mean you joke around. WrestleMania is nine hours long. SummerSlam is eight hours long. Payback is whatever. Because now on the network, they can end whatever they want. Canadian Stampede had four matches. I think about two hours, four matches. Four matches. Exactly. On, oh, yeah. On yeah. TV, they had, a, they had a dark match. Uh, if I tell you these names, you'd be like, what the fuck? The Godwins against the new Blackjacks. I don't remember that match. Mankind, as you mentioned, Mankind, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Um, the great Sasuke, Sasuke against Taka Michinoku. Uh, you mentioned Taker and Vader. And, of course, the main event, the Hart Foundation, Bret Neidhart, Owen Bulldog, Pillman, Stone Cold, uh, Shamrock, Goldust, and the, and the Legion of Doom went almost 25 minutes. So four matches on a two-hour pay-per-view and you have one of the greatest in your house uh, pay-per-views of of all time. Probably one of the of the better pay-per-views within the company in 1997. So, you know, we're over here complaining. Oh, this match is too long. It's six hours long. And the Canadian Stampede was four matches, two hours long. Yeah. 
Exactly. I think that's a classic case of less being more. I mean, I think that's where the takeover events, when you really think about it right, on the 15, right. 16 of that, they really have yet to have a bad NFT takeover show. And not only is the product really, really good and the action's awesome or not, but it's because none of those shows overstay their welcome. They're not three hours. They're not four hours. They're not five hours. They're usually two hours and at most two and a half hours. They're never anything longer than that. Um, and it reminds me of those old in-your-house shows. And again, not every in-your-house show is as great as the NXT takeover shows. But yes, yeah, sometimes less is more. That's why, like, the first Backlash show that we got back late last, um, last September by SmackDown, it was like a two-and-a-half-hour show because they only had five or so matches. Like, you don't, you don't have to have a 15-match card, which I'm sure SummerSlam is going to be, in order to have a great show. I think less is more because at some point people just start to get tired and they don't care. And the crowd is just it's such an integral part of a, of a wrestling show. And uh, if they're dead, then the matches. Like, if you look back at that main event from 20 years ago, Canadian Stampede, and the crowd was dead, that show would not be remembered nearly as fondly as it is. Right. Because this, the crowd played such a big part, not only in the match, but in the entire show. Um, so, yeah, that, that's not so important. So, it's like a lost art nowadays with crowds, and more often than not, they don't care, and you can blame them on the company or the fans or whatever. But, yeah, looking back 20 years ago, it's just amazing to see how far we've come, for better or for worse. But I think if there's any one thing to take away from that one show 20 years ago, is that um, sometimes the shorter shows are the better ones. And I know tomorrow we'll, we'll actually make the 21st uh, anniversary of Bash at the Beach, 1996. Um, again, we are taping this on July 6th. So July 7th, 1996, we have Bash at the Beach, WCW. And if I don't look on Wikipedia to find out who fought before the main event, uh, I would not know. I know the outsiders against Macho Man, Sting, Lex Luger in the main event. It's supposed to be a three-on-three -three, uh, tag match. Outsiders, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall kept saying, we have a third man, we have a third man. And just to kind of fast forward, Hulk Hogan comes out. Everybody thinks he's on Team WCW. He does the leg drop on Macho Man. The rest is history. We had the formation of the NWO, the New World Order. And that moment right there, completely changed the business how we see it now. And this, and this is 21 years ago. Hulk Hogan, the good guy, eat your vitamins, 24-inch pythons, red-yellow stuff, turn bad. And again, we can complain about John Cena turn bad, but this person turned bad. They got to turn heel, but Hulk Hogan did it. And to me, that point became the most important pay-per-view in the history of WCW. And I know there's countless of uh, events that, that they've uh, done, but without... Bash at the Beach, 1996, NWO formation. I really don't know where the company goes, but such an integral part in wrestling. I think there's no DX without the NWO formation. You get Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, still in it, you know, for Hall and Nash, still kind of in their prime or just at, at the, uh, the clips of their prime. And then you get the biggest name, the biggest star in all of pro wrestling, Hulk Hogan, with, with your organization. And... The rest is history. Graham, I know this, this is 96. You probably weren't, weren't even born at this time. Um, but have you have you had a chance to watch the pay-per-view in full or just the match? And going back 21 years ago, what is your recollection of that match and how it is so such a historical day in the world of professional wrestling? Yeah, I'm sure I've seen the match before. I definitely have not seen the entire event. 
you know, in its entirety. Um, if I can now, I'll probably watch it tomorrow on the network. Um, but it was barely a year old at that point, so obviously was wow. not watching live. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's just watching. I mean, just thinking about that match twenty years ago it's crazy. Like you said, to think that was twenty years ago, it, it really did more than launch the Monday Night Wars, launch the NWO, right. the Hulk Hogan heel turn. It did a lot more than that, and the reason it's still talked about over two decades later. Uh, for me, it's something that's still evident today. Like, Hulk Hogan as a heel is no longer around today. The NWO is no longer around today. The one thing they started is still around today, and you can call it even a bit of a problem, is the whole cool heel scenario where, you know, people love the heels, and that's evident even today, probably more now, more so now than ever before, where fans take to the heels, they cheer, they cheer the heels, and the heels are embracing the audience which shouldn't happen, but it really broke down that typical baby face versus heel formula that we've seen for, that we had seen in wrestling for so long. Right. It really, it really goes back to that one match at the start of the NWO and Hogan going heel. And it's like, Oh shit, this is really happening. And then I mean, we've had moments like that before where it's like, you know where you were when that moment happened, when, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin when he over WrestleMania 17, or when WCW got bought, I guess would be the perfect uh, example or perfect comparison there. But yeah, that one moment really jump-started what we still see all these years later. Like, I'll watch other companies, like Ring of Honor. The Bullet Club is a modern-day NWO. They Damn heat right. up the crowd. They'll go along with the crowd. They sell merch and shit. Mm-hmm. People love them. But aren't they supposed to be like the top heel faction, like in Ring of Honor and in New Japan and stuff like that? But they're still embracing the audience. Like I'm not saying that's a that's a bad thing. I mean, I guess it really depends on who you talk to. But but that all started with the NWO. People weren't doing that before then. I mean, people were booing Hulk Hogan in like '92 at certain points when he was still in the WWE. But he wasn't, you know, as a heel, he wasn't a heel, and he wasn't embracing the audience, and people weren't fully supporting the heels the way they are today. And it's created this problem where if you're not entertaining as a babyface, people will turn on you. That's what Roman Reigns has happened. That's what happened to him. I mean, it's not his fault. It's the booking. Like, that's what happens nowadays. When you're so good as a heel, you get turned into a babyface. So that, to me, is what stands out about that match, other than the fact it launched the Monday Night Wars and everything that we would see in WWE and WCW and WO and whatnot, but something that still stands even after all these years later. Um, that remains an integral part of wrestling to this very day. And you know what? I, I you know, just to wrap it up, I think even before this, when you mentioned the, you know, the the bad guys are, are looked at as being cool, and everybody at that time wanted to be like them. The same thing with Stone Cold. Stone Cold made that King of the Ring speech two uh, a a month before this, or just maybe like a week, uh, two weeks, two weeks before this at the, at the King of the Ring. And again, Stone Cold was a bad guy. But once he made that speech, fans would if you if you go back and hear the King of the Ring during that speech, people are cheering when he said three sixteen, I whip your ass. And that I think that right there, and this is and, and to me, this is this is pre attitude era. So again, there's no clear distinction the day that the attitude era started. It's not like September first, ninety seven. There's no clear cut day, but you you kind of saw the signs of where they were going. And Stone Cold being a bad guy, doing a speech, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kick your ass. And the fans back then, also with what what was going on on, on t- uh, television, entertainment, TV shows, you kind of got 
you know, in the realm of, of what was going on. Stone Cold speech, NWO formation, bad guys are cool now, especially in the world of pro wrestling. And that together, as you mentioned today, still gets played out. Kevin Owens is the bad guy, but people cheer for him. Uh, Roman Reigns is a good guy, and people hate him. John Cena is a good guy, but people hate him. Braun Strowman is a bad guy, but people love him. So Jericho, the same thing over and over. So um, is it a big problem? I don't know. But if you want to say who started this, <laughs> to me, it's Stone Cold and, and, and the NWO. Same thing, with, same thing happened with DX. DX was primarily uh, heels with Shawn Michaels and, and, and Triple H and, and Rick Rude. But people love Shawn Michaels. People did not really like or love Triple H at that time. But as they uh, changed the formation... They were looked at as bad guys, and then they flipped the switch and became good guys. So, you know, it's, it's all about what kind of era you, you grew up in and how you understand things that go on in the world of pro wrestling. But I think, you know, just to wrap it up, the Bash of the Beach 96 was a big major uh, event for that company. Uh, they had nine matches on that card. I don't know who the hell wrestled besides outsiders, Macho Man, Sting, and Luger if I don't, if I don't look it up because... Everybody goes to Bash at the Beach for that main event and how it changed the course of the the, the, the Monday Night Wars, pro wrestling. So, uh, major event. A lot of things don't happen without that event. And I know for a fact we would never, never see that happen again unless John Cena turns heel on his final day of his contract. It ain't happening. So, for those who haven't seen it, go and check it out. Bash at the Beach 96, WCW. NWO formation to me probably the greatest heel or greatest stable of, of, of all time. I would agree with that on both accounts, especially with the Cena thing too. When you really think about the the impact that moment had, that time he's already kind of teasing going to the dark side and wearing black at certain points. But no one ever really thought Hulk Hogan would be a full fledged heel on that evening. Yeah. Um, but what would even be the equivalent to that nowadays? And the thing is, is that it's hard to say. Because today's day and age with wrestling and really just the world in general, yeah. the, inter- the internet is everywhere. Spoilers are everywhere. Like, let's say Cena was going to turn heel. We would find out three months in advance <laughs> that was the case because they'd be yeah. planning it and uh, there would be talks and Meltzer would be reporting it. Like, we would know so far in advance and it'd still be an amazing moment, but it wouldn't be like, oh, oh my God. Like, we would have no idea. Like when, I don't know, much shame the band beat last year. That was a perfect moment of like, holy shit, because it wasn't being reported. And no one knew about it. That is so rare nowadays. Very rare when you see stuff like that. So if we were to see something similar nowadays, it's a lot harder to accomplish it compared to 1996. Um, but it would have to be seen over the I mean, there's really nothing else that comes close to, to, to topping that. And it would have to be a decision made literally that night because you can't even plan for that kind of thing because it would get out. So um, it, it is interesting to look back the landscape of wrestling in 96 and how, revo- how, how revolutionary, excuse me, that pay-per-view and really that year was for both WWE and WCW setting in motion. Guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin and the NWO and even Shawn Michaels being on top for as long as he was in 96 WWE champion. I really do think 96 was a very underrated year in wrestling. That, uh, that just that even pre attitude era that really kind of planted the seeds for what we would see in the years to come and what we even still see to this very day. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to look back and stuff like that, the Canadian Stampede and uh, the Bash of the Beach pay per view from 20 years ago to tomorrow, or 21 years ago, excuse me, 
from tomorrow because they still have recurring effects that last, you know, that can still be felt to this very day. My final question to you, Graham. You probably know. I know some fans should know. I think it's been out there for for quite some time. But going back to the bash at the beach, um, if Hulk Hogan was not, if, if Hulk Hogan had second thoughts about him going out there and you know becoming a heel, do you know who was Plan B in the event Hogan said no? Was it not Sting? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Man, I thought I had you. <laughs> thought I had you. Damn. Yeah. I remember Hogan talking about it on, a, I think it was Jericho's podcast uh, a number of years ago. But it's funny, like, when you see that, it's like, if it was Sting, it wouldn't have the same impact. I know we would not be talking about it now if, yeah. it was, if it was Sting or really anyone else. The only reason that worked was because it was Hulk Hogan. Because he was the right. lead baby face in wrestling for so long. That's why that worked. Um, if it was Sting, it would not have worked as well. So that's, it's funny to think back that one little decision could change so much. Yeah, you're right, man. If, if this was Sting, um, Hall and Nash, it would have been all right, but not the monumental impact Hulk Hogan had uh, when he joined. But so I, I'm I'm kind of glad it was Hogan, not Sting, and then eventually you know they had their, their feud down the road. So. Um, yeah, man. So great balls of fire on, on Sunday. Let, let's hope that's a great pay per view. I know we'll uh, talk about it next week in our review. Uh, Canadian Stampede at twenty, Bash at the Beach at twenty one. You can uh, find Graham on on Twitter at WrestleRant, the host of WrestleRant Radio. Does great work for Bleacher Report. Go find him, check him out. Graham, always a pleasure, and I'll I'll check out for you soon, man. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate it. Great to be back on the horse here on the show. Uh, two out of three falls podcast making a bigger return to the radio with the airwaves than uh, Brian Stromer and Raw. So looking forward to doing more <laughs> shows in the future. Hopefully the show is good on Sunday so we're not ranting about it next week, but rather raving about it uh, as it sets the uh, SummerSlam plan in motion. But nevertheless, my friend, enjoy the weekend. Have a good show on Sunday. Have a good time watching the show if you're watching live. But uh, either way, I'll check it out next week. And thanks for having me on as always. I'll get you on the road, dude. Grandma, man, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Adios. All right.